The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. What does the Bible say about uh, entertainment? Entertainment. Oh, maybe I wasn't on. Okay. Um, so let's look at that. So having been a, a pastor at a few different churches over the years, Entertainment is one of those hot buttons where it's real quick and easy to get into a debate or quickly you realize, wow, they're pretty passionate about this and they totally have a different opinion than I do. And whoa, that could get hot and heavy when you're discussing issues about entertainment. Uh, many times entertainment issues can become divisive in the church. I've seen that. Uh, I've been at different kinds of churches um, that had different convictions about certain things with respect to entertainment and what the church and leadership and the elders or the deacons, what their convictions were as to as far as what they thought their people should be doing or what they should refrain from by way of entertainment. Just a quick survey. Anybody got a television? Raise your hand. Sorry to put you on the spot. I'm ready. I have a television. Fess up. Okay. Uh, there was a two-year period where we didn't have a television. Um, anybody that's got a computer, raise your hand. Okay. Uh, oh, anybody that's got kind of a, a game box of any sort, a video game component, raise your hand. Okay, fewer of those, but probably more than half of you. So we've got one as well. So, uh, so under the umbrella of entertainment, we can put a lot of things. And this is not, I'm not trying to be exhaustive this morning to define what entertainment is. I think we all understand the concept. Uh, my goal is to just give us, again, basic parameters, priority parameters and principles from the Bible that can help guide our living, but first inform our thinking in the realm of entertainment. How should a Christian deal with this issue of entertainment? And you could be on one end of the uh, spectrum or the other. You could be somewhere in the middle. A hundred years ago, maybe even less than that, in some churches, conservative churches, uh, Bible churches, fundamental churches, it was actually considered to be wrong or sinful to have a deck of cards. Just to have a deck of cards or or to play an innocent game of kind of cards because it wasn't innocent that was considered or deemed sinful. Um, and there are even people who believe that today, but that would be a form of entertainment, playing cards. And so can Christians play cards or not with a clear conscience, or is that gambling? Is it illegitimate? Is it uh, whatever? So, And I've met Christians who were either raised in a home where they couldn't play cards and they were never allowed to watch television, and uh, that's how they were raised in their Christian home because their parents had a philosophy about entertainment. In our world today, it would look like... Uh, what about those Harry Potter books? Can Christians read Harry Potter books without being compromisers? Can a Christian watch a Harry Potter movie without being a compromiser? That's a huge debate. I was on a board of a school where that became a major issue, and we, the leadership, we had to come up with a policy of, what, okay, what do we think of Harry Potter? Because we've got to write something and let the parents know what our stance was. I'm not going to tell you what we came up with, but anyway, it was a very divisive issue. And that wasn't too long ago. Uh, should Christians watch movies at all? I, I know Christians who believe that you shouldn't watch, you shouldn't have a TV, shouldn't watch television. It's a waste of time. Um, and then there are other Christians who say, yeah, you can watch movies, but you know, and then they have their standards. And if you do watch a movie, what, what are the ratings? Should a Christian watch a rated R movie ever? That's one that's thrown out there. 
what about Batman, the new movie that came out? Should Christians even be going to that and watching it, or is it a compromise? What about TV shows? Should Christians be watching television? What should they be watching? What they should not be watching and be refraining from? What about playing video games? And if they're allowed to play video games, what ratings should Christians be allowed to play? Because there's different ratings even on video games. What about listening to music? What about listening? Can a Christian really listen to secular country music and not be compromising? What about rap music? All rap music is of the devil. That's what some people would say. And that no rap music, even if it's a, quote, Christian version is legitimate, and others would say, yes, it is, and then there's an ensuing debate and fight over that one. What about uh, CCM, contemporary Christian music, CCM? Oh, we shouldn't be listening to that. No, we should or we can. What about any secular music at all? Should a Christian ever be exposed to listening to, meditating upon secular music? Is that a compromise? I've been in all these debates at different churches and no Christians in every camp. Uh, What about listening to stand-up comedians? And uh, what about sports, watching sports? Football, oh, it's so brutal. <laughs> Football, what about boxing? What about UFC, ultimate fighting? I mean, that's just barbaric. How could a Christian even tolerate that? What about uh, dancing? I was a pastor and an elder at a church that, unbeknownst to me, that dancing was anathema. It was of the devil under any circumstances in any context. And I ended up talking to the elders about that and they didn't agree in my perspective. My problem was my parents met as instructors at an Arthur Murray dance studio. (laughs) So my dad was a professional dance instructor and my mom was one of his students and they fell in love. But anyway, um, so I was biased one way. What about fantasy football? Is that legit? What about the use of the Internet and what should we be allowed? Anyway, the questions just go on and on. If you're a parent, you've got kids, you've got to deal with it every single day, right? You've got to, you've got to deal, make those decisions. But you, if you're a Christian, you've got to make those decisions. So my question to you, Christian, I don't care how old you are. If you're a, a seventh grade Christian, uh, a college age Christian, a single post-college Christian, You have to make up your mind about all of these things, especially in this generation. This generation that we have is the most technologically video-crazed generation in the history of humanity. And here in America, the the current age that is growing up in generation, they are the most, by virtue of how they spend all their time on texting and the computer and so much time in front of technology, they are, and I'm not saying this is a slam, they are de facto the most passive sedentary generation of people that we've had in American history. Because you're passive as you're interacting with a computer or texting or watching a video or playing video games. Uh, in other words, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you didn't have that option. You'd be out on the street, running around, climbing a tree, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, you know, read that book and see what they did for entertainment. That's, that's just the way it was for 6,000 years until just recently, really. So there's been a tremendous shift in terms of entertainment uh, that has invaded the lives of Christians. So we need to think through, regardless of your age, you need to come up with biblical principles to guide how you deal with entertainment. You can't just say, and I've done this recently, just experimentally, asking random Christians, so can you watch this movie? Or what do you think about this movie? Oh, that's not bad. What do you mean it's not bad? Well, it's not that bad. It's okay because it's not that bad. 
I'm like, well, wow, that's kind of relative. I mean, what, what I'm looking for, what is your biblical principle you live by? What is it grounded in? You've got to have a solid foundation, biblical principles established, clear in your mind, and that grounds you for discerning and vets what you will do, what you'll refrain from doing. And the Christians I've been talking to, some of them recently and lately, their answers aren't based on clear biblical principles and parameters to guide and gauge and monitor and dictate their living and their thinking. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to have a solid foundation. You've got to have a clear biblical answer. So that's kind of what we're getting at here. Um, and like I said, you're probably going to be somewhere on the spectrum from being a legalist of a Christian. Been there. Was a legalist. Pastored at a legalist church. So you'll be anywhere from being a legalist all the way down to the libertarian. Oh, freedom in Christ. It's not in the Bible. It's a gray area. I can do what I want. Regardless of the consequences or whatever. So some, every single one of us as a Christian is between those two extremes. And when it comes to entertainment, most of which falls under the umbrella of the gray areas. And I taught a sermon on what the Bible says about gray areas, which would be part. This is part two to that sermon. The gray areas. Uh, everybody's somewhere on that spectrum from legalist to libertarian. So this is a kind of a sermon, when I came up with these principles, I'm thinking, man, I need to hear this every single week. What the Bible says about the law, okay, I studied it, heard about it, good reminder, I'll pick it up again maybe in two years. This week studying on this is like, man, I need to hear this every day and everybody in my family needs to hear this every day and everybody in our church needs to hear this every day. Seriously, in light of where we live. I was aghast two days ago on Friday listening to the radio when... What I'd say in the top five most influential evangelical conservative Christian pastor, for whatever reason, is talking to somebody on the phone on the radio and he's giving his judgments about every movie that's out at the movie theater right now. So right now, if you looked up at okay, what's showing at Cupertino Theaters and San Jose and whatever, and he's commenting on every one of these movies, and he gave every movie two thumbs up. And told the audience to go watch it. It was hilarious. And one of them that I just like, you've got to be kidding. I used to respect this guy. And I can't believe that you're saying this. About this ra- he, admit- he admitted that the movie was rated R. The, char- the characters or the actors in it are known for being crude and immoral and crass. And explicit in their uh, verbiage that is just godless. There's sexual immorality in the movie. And it's rated R. He, and he acknowledged all that. And these, it's just kind of, yeah, it's, it's, and he kept saying, oh, well, it's a little over the top. It's a little over the top. That was his caveat. It's a little over the top. And I'm thinking, wow. And he, but he said, and he kept coming back saying, but it was hilarious. It was a little over the top, but it was hilarious. But it was hilarious. And the person on the phone was disagreeing, saying, I wouldn't recommend that movie to anybody. He said, no, well, it was a little over the top, I agree. But it was hilarious. As a matter of fact, I tell everybody to go see it. And if, you know, if their ratings explode, they can thank me. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, how disappointing. Here's a conservative, Christian, well-known, evangelical pastor who is encouraging the world and the Christian community to go see these movies. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to do just the opposite. I'm trying to tell our people and God's people why they shouldn't see this movie in particular and how destructive suddenly it will be to your life. Very frustrating. So we were on different ends of the spectrum, at least on those movies he was talking about. But hence, therein lies the debate on this issue. Uh, but we've got to keep going back. What does the Bible say on all these issues of entertainment? So let's go ahead and look at some of these biblical principles that I laid down. Um, let's start with point number one. 
And that is that entertainment is a gift from God. Entertainment in and of itself is not sinful. It is not evil. It is not wicked. By entertainment, I mean the ability for human beings to enjoy themselves here on this earth. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. As a matter of fact, that's a gift from God. That is actually what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about for 12 chapters. The story of Solomon, who engaged himself in entertainment illegitimately in every conceivable area. He crossed the line. He went to an extreme. He compromised. He blew it. He sinned. He abused entertainment as a gift from God. And then in the end, he, was, he had the right perspective. Wow, I blew it. And man, here's how I should have lived. And so he's trying to encourage all of us other believers. Don't do what I did and wait till you're about to die when you have the right view about entertainment. Figure out the right godly view of entertainment while you are young. That's what he says. Because it will help you in your life. But there's two or three verses explicitly in Ecclesiastes that say that enjoying life is a gift from God. Working hard, eating and drinking, that doesn't mean partying with alcohol. Eating and drinking, just eating food and having fellowship and enjoying life and the fruits of your labor, uh, that is good. And God wants us, he's given us all things to enjoy. So entertainment is a gift from God as long as it is wholesome, it is edifying, it doesn't undermine God's will or anything like that and it's not compromised. So just a couple of verses I put there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. One and following, I just put an excerpt there. There is an appointed time for everything that is allowed by God and approved by God and even intended by God. And this is true even for the area of entertainment. And specifically, he says there's a time to laugh. That is a gift from God. Being a a curmudgeon who never smiles and never laughs and is always grumpy, that is not being spiritual. I think sometimes people think that's spiritual. Um, It's not. There is a time to laugh that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Scripture also says there's a time to dance. Entertainment, celebration, whatever. And it's a legitimate dance. There's illegitimate dancing and there is legitimate dancing. That's why the context always determines whether it's legitimate or not. But there is a time to dance. King David danced and it pleased God. In the book of Exodus, when Pharaoh was killed, Miriam got a tambourine and led the female choir and they were dancing. It says dancing in Hebrew. And they were celebrating the death of Pharaoh and it pleased God. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, let my people go. Uh. They wrote that song. I'm not kidding. But anyway, read it. I think it's Exodus 15. Uh, 1 Timothy 6:17. Paul said, fix your hope on God. See, that's the, the foundation right there. That is your frame of mind. That's your worldview. That's your paradigm. That vets everything. Fix your hope on God. He is the priority. Everything else flows from that. Knowing Him, pleasing Him. And it will manifest itself that way in a life that pleases Him in every area of your life. Fix your hope on God who richly supplies us as believers with all things to enjoy. That is entertainment. So, entertainment is a gift of God. Point number two. Do everything to please Christ, the Spirit and the Father. So, again, what's your motivation in this? Uh, I'm going to see a movie. What would Jesus think of this movie? Playing this video game. What would Jesus think of this video game? Here's how long I'm playing this video game. What would Jesus think about how long I'm playing this video game? Well, that's a subjective question. And people will answer differently. But if you're a teenager, try this. 
What would Jesus think about how much time I'm playing this video game? One way to kind of find out, or at least close to figuring out what Jesus would think is, what would my parents think about how long I'm playing this video game? Because they probably know better than I do about what maybe Jesus thinks about me playing this video game. But the point is, what is your motive as you do everything if you're a Christian? You're an ambassador, you take the Holy Spirit. Imagine this. The Spirit of God lives in every Christian. Wherever you go, you take the Holy Spirit with you. Because we're temples of the Holy Spirit. So, when you're engaged in an activity of entertainment, is the Holy Spirit pleased? Is He grieved? Does He want to leave this party, but you want to stay? Because He can't leave. Because you're forcing Him to stay. So this comes down to your motive and how you think conscientiously in an ongoing manner about Christ. Practicing the presence of Christ throughout the day in everything you do. Do everything to please Christ. So 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, actually that verse says, so then whatever you do, whether you eat or drink. And Paul, he picks the extreme mundane things of life. Whether you eat or drink. In your entertainment, in every area of life, how you spend your free time, how you spend your extra money, how you spend your entertainment. That's what he's talking about. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all so that it pleases God. Here's a great verse. Turn there. I didn't write it down. Uh, but go there. 2 Corinthians 5.9 or just listen. Because it really supports this idea that we should do everything to please Christ. That needs to be our motive, our heart's desire, our ambition, what fuels our goals, what we are motivated to do. 2 Corinthians 5.9. The Apostle Paul talks about his motives. What drives him? What's he trying to accomplish in life? How does he want to spend his time? Uh, So he says this, Therefore, we as apostles, we also have as our ambition, and this includes Christians, it should. Therefore, we also have as our ambition. Here's our ambition. Here's our desire. Here's our motive. Whether at home or absent, whether I'm in heaven or down here on earth, no matter what I'm doing, it is to be pleasing to God. This is my greatest ambition. I always want to be pleasing to God. So you've got to carry that over into your life of entertainment. Is what I'm doing, is it pleasing to God or is it a compromise? Does it grieve the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians 5.9 So entertainment is a gift of God, yet every gift can be abused. So we need to be good stewards of the gift of entertainment. And that's what these other principles are about. To provide balance in our life regarding entertainment. Point number two, do everything to please Christ, the Spirit, and the Father. And that takes us to number three. Exercise your liberties with moderation. I said earlier, so much of what happens in the area of entertainment are actually gray areas. Does the Bible t- answer the question directly, can you go watch movies? No, well, no, it doesn't. So it's a gray area. Are there principles that address, should we go watch movies? Yes, there are principles that intersect with it. But it's a gray area. It's an area of uh, freedom and liberty as well. But when it comes to your freedoms and the gray areas in life, as a Christian, you need to exercise your liberties with moderation. Exercise your liberties with moderation. Don't be excessive. Okay, say you like video games. You're a video guy. You're a video bug. Video games can be very addicting, especially the ones that you like. I think when I was growing up, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, Bible-believing home, and Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man, all those were coming out, and you couldn't have it in your house. You had to go to the store and steal a quarter from your mom so you could go play at Safeway kind of thing. I would never do that. But anyway, um, and there are kids, they'd spend hours and hours, days and days on those you know, Pac-Man and Space Invaders and all that. It just it becomes addictive. No self-control. So is Pac-Man inherently evil? No. 
Can it be done with a lack of moderation? Absolutely. Total lack of balance? Absolutely. So that's one of the questions you've got to ask in any form of entertainment that you enjoy is do, do, am I exercising moderation as I do this? Is it planned into my schedule? I have a starting point and a stopping point. And when it's time to stop, cut! And the allotted time is within moderation. Exercise your liberties with moderation. Um, or do you lack self-control regarding that whatever it is? How you spend your money, the movies you watch, the music you listen to, the video games you play? Do you lack self-control? You're totally out of control. Is it in, you're enslaved by it. You're addicted to it. It dominates your life. It saps you of everything as a Christian. Then you've got a problem and you lack moderation. First uh, Corinthians 6.12. By the way, that's easy for any of, every one of us to get into a, a pattern where we lack moderation in any given area. Because every single one of us is vulnerable to something, to being enslaved, to being addicted, where it's sapping our time. And also because of how we are, we are frail, Jesus said, because of our sin and our finiteness. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, isn't it? Don't trust yourself. We can't trust ourselves, that would be foolish. So that's why Paul, great principle in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he also gives it the same principle in 1 Corinthians 10, where he says, all things are lawful for me. And what he's talking about there are things that are not sinful. He's not saying that all things are lawful, even sinful things. He's not saying that. He's saying... All things that are not sinful, that are okay, including the gray areas, they are lawful. It is okay to do this if it is not explicitly condemned by Scripture. It's okay. Um, It is okay to play cards. I would say that would be a practical application. It's okay to see a movie. That could also apply. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Just because you can do it doesn't mean it's the best thing to do. Just because you can do it doesn't mean it's going to please Christ or help you grow or show that you're being a good steward of your time and your resources and your money. Or it's not profitable because it's not edifying somebody else. Actually, you're doing it and it's undermining somebody else. So just because you can do it, whatever it is, doesn't mean it's the best thing to do or even profitable or, as Paul says later, it's not necessarily edifying. It doesn't build up. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, that's, that's key. Is there anything in my life that I do by way of entertainment that actually has mastered me? And I don't have control over it. Whoa, red flag. I'm a slave to video games. I do it till four in the morning and then I wonder why I'm falling asleep at work or whatever. My marriage is falling apart. Or it could be anything. Are you mastered by it? Paul says you can't allow yourself to be mastered by things that are permissible. Number four, what else? Well, I think a priority is we need to protect our mind. How we think. This is probably if I had to pick one verse to make it my entertainment verse, my great area verse, this would be it. Philippians chapter four. It is rich. Protect your mind. The key to this verse is the verb at the end of verse 8. Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, here's the key. Dwell on these things. Literally, think on these things. Meditate on these things. Allow your thoughts to be dominated 
by these things. Present tense, continually think and meditate about these things. What dominates your thinking? For some Christians, it's, it's worry. Worry about this, worry about that, worry about this. Others, it might be something else that they're thinking about. They're enthralled with the latest movie that's coming out, and that's all they can think about and talk about. And Paul's saying, no, guard your thinking, train your thinking, discipline your thinking in a biblical manner on all of these virtues And that becomes a litmus test for much of what is passed off as entertainment in our world. Dwell on these things. Think on these things. Because your mind is so important. You've got to protect your mind, feed your mind, guard your mind, discipline your mind. Your mind will pretty much determine everything. What you think on and what's going into your brain, your mind and what you're thinking on will determine your behavior. Your mind will determine your words. Your mind will determine your emotions. It's all in the mind. That's why the Old Testament basically said in Proverbs, you are what you think. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, be transformed. Do not be morphed into the image of this world, but be transformed. How? By a do and don't list of don't do that and legalistic? No. It doesn't start on the exterior or on the outside. It starts on the inside with you, with me, as an individual, before God, my mind. Controlling my mind, transforming my mind. Be transformed. By God, by renewing your mind. There it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind. Your soul and your strength. Love God with everything, but the mind is absolutely essential. What is that movie doing to your mind? What is that Facebook doing to your mind? What is that texting doing to your mind? What is that book you're reading doing to your mind? Is it edifying? Is it doing nothing? Or is it actually tearing you down and is it detrimental to your walk with Christ? So, great principle Protect your mind. Just a couple of things. Whatever is true. Whatever is true, think on this. I mean, movies are notoriously terrible for even influencing Christians about thinking things that are not true. When was the last time you went to a... I mean, we see it all the time. People go see a movie and they think everything that was in the movie is true. Or they saw it on television and it's true. I read it on the internet. Of course it's true. I read it in Wikipedia. It's always true. But but romance... Movies. I've talked to, I have counseled, I've talked to, I see how movies even influence people the way they think about their expectations of a marriage, of a family, of what children should be like. I'm like, where in the world did this paradigm come from? Well, it was in that movie. I wish my husband was more like that actor so-and-so in the way he treated his wife in that movie. Oh, you mean what's-his-face? That actor? Who was great in that movie? Oh, you mean that guy who in real life has been divorced four times and he beat up his fifth lady who wasn't even his wife and now he's in jail? You mean that guy? You want your husband to be like that? Come on, let's think about reality here. Not the movies, not Ghost with Demi Moore and what's-his-face. Assume that's real. Oh, that's so romantic. I wish my husband was like that. No, actually you don't. If you knew what that actor was like, no, you don't. So, you gotta be, we've got to be careful. Um, so, entertainment can distort reality. Video games can distort reality. So, protect your mind. Think on things that are true. If it's not true, reject it. Whatever is right, that means holy. If it's wrong, reject it. Whatever is pure, wow, that would eliminate probably a majority of Hollywood movies or television shows. How can you sit around and watch Friends and be entertained and laugh at 
the smut and the sex and all of it transpires outside of marriage relationships. And that's, oh, but because it's funny. Ha, ha, ha. And then you take, well, God says whatever is pure and right and holy and true and of good report, let your mind dwell on these things, praise those things, and we watch things and are entertained by them, and we even pay money to be entertained by the garbage that is contrary to Scripture and what God expects of us. If I'm stepping on your toes, I'm stepping on my own toes. Uh, These are just great reminders. So important, protect your mind. Next, protect your eyes. Paul basically defined all sin. All sins can fall into three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every single sin falls into one of those three areas. So protecting your eyes is tremendously important. You can be doing okay and then boom, you see something, you're exposed to something, and then you stumble. That's one of the Greek words for sin. There's about 50 words for sin in the New Testament. One of those is to stumble, to trip up. It's spontaneous, it's out of the blue, it caught you out of nowhere, and boom, that's what your eyes being fixed on something instantaneously can trip you up. It wasn't a premeditated sin, it was boom. Man, I saw that I was in the grocery store and all the horrible magazines right there as you're about to pay your, your bill can stumble people up with wrong thoughts. So we've got to protect our eyes. And then this is true in video games and also in money. And it's not just with sexually immoral things. It could just be certain acts and things that they'll expose you to. And I, I, I don't know, probably a lot of you like those CSI movies. So I'm not going to make a judgment on it, but I just can't stand watching those because I just can't handle all that dead, putrefied body and its gore and the guts. I just like that. Yeah, I don't even want to look at that. No, thank you. Jesus said, Matthew 5.29, if your right eye makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. He's speaking hyperbolically, metaphorically, not literally. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. What he's saying that if, what, if something you look at and expose your eyes to, cause, because you're vulnerable in that area and it leads you into temptation and into sin, then cut that area out of your life. For example, uh, a man says, well, I'm struggling with stuff on the Internet things I shouldn't be looking at of a sexual nature, then don't look at them. Well, yeah, it's easy for you to say. Or, no, it's hard. Yeah, I, I've tried. Well, then you need to figure out what Jesus said. Okay, then somehow you've got to cut it out. You've got to get rid of it somehow. There's some, you've got to cut the cord somewhere. Some people go to extremes and they just get rid of their computer and they have it only in areas where they're accountable to somebody else. Uh, some will get accountability from friends to try to cut it off and bring in accountability. And then some Christians will do nothing because they're too embarrassed to even talk about it. And then they will continue in the addiction that they're struggling with. But Jesus said, if looking at something causes you to sin or tempts you to sin, you've got to take it seriously, identify it, get rid of it, cut it off. We are weak. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Protect your eyes. Number six, keep, your, keep the right priorities. You are a slave of Christ. What are your priorities? What do you look forward to doing the most. I mean, that's just a good evaluation. You sit down all by yourself and on a piece of paper for you to write out what are you most excited about in life and what are you most excited about doing in the next week, in the next month or whatever. And you wrote down 15 things. That would indicate what's going on in your heart. That would also reveal your priorities in life. Whether it's, oh, I can't wait to get my new Xbox and I can't wait till this next movie comes out and I can't wait till uh, this uh, next Harry Potter book comes out and I can't wait till this comes out and I can't wait. I mean, if, That's going to tell us what's going on in your heart and your mind. That's a good diagnosis. But maybe you have spiritual priorities. I can't wait till the next year's Mexico missions trip, and I can't wait to see so-and-so at church and tell them this. So that's just good self-evaluation and inventory. Uh, If you're honest with yourself, 
to examine where your heart is and see where your priorities are. Are you reminded continually and forevermore, first and foremost, if you are a Christian, you are a slave of Jesus Christ. He owns you. He owns me. He died for me. He is my precious, loving Lord and Savior. He created me. I will live for Him and with Him for all eternity. What I do here matters to furthering my relationship with Him and His kingdom and His purpose for me in this life. This life is not my own. Your life, Christian, is not your own. Peter said, your life is not your own to every human being because they were created by God. Every human being belongs to God. Every human being's life is not their own. They belong to God, the Creator. Ezekiel 18. Your life is not your own. Every soul that sins is mine. Or every soul is mine. So every human being... Their life is not their own because by virtue of creation. And then if you're a Christian, your life is not your own because you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus owns you. Jesus owns me. The Holy Spirit owns you. The Holy Spirit owns me. My life is not my own. My time is not my own. God owns me. Christ owns me by virtue of salvation, death and resurrection on my behalf. I am His steward. I am His slave. I am His servant. I am His child. I am His ambassador. He owns me. So that speaks to having the right priorities. Our commitments. Matthew said in Matthew, or Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Who is your Lord? Who is your Savior? Is it entertainment? Is it self? Is it pleasure? Or is it Christ? Is it God? Is it Jesus? Is it the Bible? No one can serve two masters. Can't have divided loyalties. Doesn't work. You cannot serve both God and wealth. And you can put anything else. You can't serve both God and entertainment, God and this, and God and your own self agenda. Paul says in Colossians 3.2 to set your mind, fix your mind, rivet your thinking. And this is a command. On things above, on heavenly things, spiritual things. Not just earthly things that will pass away and have absolutely no significance. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You know, it's good to actually write out some of these verses and plaster them all over your house, in your bathroom, on the mirror, in the kitchen, in the car, on the dashboard, in my hand, on a piece of paper, in my pocket, because we continually need to be reminded of these most basic truths. Don't we? I know I do. Keep the right priorities. You're a slave of Christ. Paul said, redeem the time. When you're being entertained or entertaining yourself, you're going to be spending a lot amount of time, right? Are you redeeming the time, being a good uh, steward of God of the time you're using in that form of entertainment? Uh, number seven, do not tolerate or celebrate or exalt evil. I guess this one is the one that frustrates me the most. When Christians interface with entertainment, especially movies and books, especially TV shows and movies. I mean, because think about it. You go, you pay big bucks these days to go watch a movie, 11 bucks, whatever. Go watch this huge, massive screen, 3D, technicolor, stereophonic surround sound, scratch and sniff, scream, whatever. And you've got these characters that are 20 feet tall. And some of the characters in the movie, you know their lifestyle. They are verbally outspoken, anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Bible. Uh, they go on record. They write books. They say it. They, it's published in New York Times like Meryl Streep who goes on record time and time again to mock Jesus Christ, to mock Christianity. Or Ted Turner, who owns TNT, who over and over again, uh, just he says Christians are wimps, Christianity is a crutch, uh, Bill Maher, all these entertainers, on and on. It's like, And then they're in movies, and we go pay money to support this guy and make him rich. 
and I know he's an enemy of Christ, and he's not just an unbeliever. Being my next-door neighbor lady who's not saved, who's a nice lady, that's not who I'm talking about. These people are hostile, outspoken, put it in writing, and are out to destroy Christians. Glory and blaspheming the name of Christ. How can a Christian sit in a movie theater where the actors are saying, God this, God Jesus Christ this, as a cuss word, just utter blasphemy, of your precious Savior? So all I'm saying is, are you sensitive to that or have you become callous to it? If you're a Christian and you can just watch a movie and they said Jesus Christ three times inappropriately and you didn't even notice, that means you're, you've become callous over time. Every true Christian should, uh, like, it's like you get punched in the gut when you hear your, your blessed Savior's name misused every time you hear it. So that's my first question. I'm not even talking about how you respond to it, but does it offend you? Does it hurt you? Does it grieve you? Does it, get this, make you angry? Does it make you angry? Paul, on Acts chapter 17, looking at Mars Hill, said he was angry. He was provoked in his spirit. He was angry at the false religion. And the blasphemy it was against his Lord and his Savior. Do not tolerate. I want to read this passage. If you've got your Bible, you've got to go to Romans 1. Um, when I was in college, my junior year, I took a class at the, ex, the exposition of Romans. And I remember my Bible professor pointing this out. He made this point. I never forgot it. Um... Do, as a Christian, do not tolerate, celebrate, or exalt evil. Polygamy is evil. Now they have, they have so many reality. They have a reality show for every deviant behavior under the sun. Seriously, and it's glamorized. It is exalted, and people watch it over time. And then an entire nation becomes callous to what we used to think was reprehensible. Remember that show came out about the Mormon with the many wives. I saw the commercial. I go, you have got to be kidding me. Well, time has gone by, and lo and behold, Christians are buying it. They watch it and tolerate it. That's just one example of many that I could give. And here's Paul saying, okay, Christian, hello, wake up. Here's the degeneration of sinful behavior, calloused minds, going from bad to worse. These are God-haters and what they're like. Verse 28, Romans chapter 1, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. God's judgment, He gave them over what? To a depraved mind. Their thinking is just absolutely corrupt. It is warped. It is perverted. The polar opposite of truth, what is good, lovely, uh, and to do, and God gave them over to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. That's the tagline of your average Hollywood movie, isn't it? We call it entertainment. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, Gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Boy, that would describe our day to a T. We invent evil. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. 30, verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of God, they know God exists. They know what God expects as the creator. They ignore it. They become callous. And get this, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they also, here's the key, they also give hearty approval to those 
who practice them. A Christian should not give hearty approval to sinful, moral, immoral, perverted behavior that we call entertainment. You just shouldn't do it. And that's what we do. And that needs to be pointed out. So especially as a parent, if your kids are watching movies or whatever, because or, usually any story, whether it's a true story or a fiction story, whether it's rated G or rated R and a half, you usually have a storyline with a good guy and a bad guy. The Christian perspective should be always showcasing, highlighting, commending the good guy in the story. The virtuous guy, the person that did the right thing. You know what Hollywood has done in a lot of books? They've turned that on its ear and they want the reader or the watcher to actually root for the bad guy. Like the movie Dillinger that came out. We're supposed to be rooting for Dillinger. And history is he was a murderous thug. And here I am in this movie saying, yippee, way to go, Dillinger. And that's what all, it's very subtle and you've got to catch yourself. So when you're watching a movie, whether it's or reading a book, C.S. Lewis, who are you rooting for? The good guy or the bad guy? The virtuous guy or the, the sinner and the wicked, evil person? So even if there is a movie that you would allow and you think it's okay, you've got to interact with your kids and, and talk those through. Why do, you, why do you like Darth Vader or Darth Maul? You know what he stands for? He stands, he's incarnate evil. Darth Maul, he's the devil. Hello, he's your enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to rip your life to pieces and you're rooting for him? Man, root for uh, Luke or Yoda or whoever. I was at a church once that Star Wars was, uh, it was illegal. It was unchristian. You shouldn't go watch movies like that and science fiction. and That was not legit and you weren't spiritual if you were a Christian. If you watch science fiction or any Disney movies and so trying to think that through, hmm, this is interesting. Okay, I'm listening to their arguments. I've got some good verses there, but hmm, is it really inher- inherently sinful for me to go watch Star Wars and enjoy uh, Han Solo and Princess Leia having their little interactions? Uh, I don't know. And then John MacArthur came out with his book on parenting that I found helpful, and he used that as an example. Uh, I'd rather have, raise my kids, let them watch Star Wars, sit down and watch it with them, and then think it through with them and talk it through with them and make sure they have the right understanding, and do they understand the worldview that uh, the director and the producer of the movie had, that he was a New Age guy, and the implications of that, and who the good characters are and the bad characters. And as long as, you know, if it doesn't have cuss words and it's not immoral, but it's just kind of neuter and it's a science fiction, he was saying you can actually use that to teach your children how to think. And I thought that was great because at the time I was in kind of a legalistic church. And the problem with legalism, if you're a legalistic parent, at least what I saw, they were trying to guard their kids from everything on the outside. That the greatest imminent threat was that which was external. Yet they naively weren't realizing the greatest immediate imminent threat to their kids is not external. It's on the inside. It is their own corrupt heart. That's what the, the threat is. That's what needs to be addressed. It starts on the inside. So that's just one example to just try to sort this through. But absolutely, you've got to draw the line somewhere. Do not celebrate, tolerate, or exalt evil. Turn away from evil, First Peter 3 said. Do not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoice with the truth. Do not rejoice in unrighteousness, even in your entertainment. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Are there things that you hate that are immoral and evil? Well, you should. So don't tolerate, celebrate, or exalt evil in your entertainment. Number eight, regularly evaluate your life. Talked about this earlier. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Christian, examine yourselves. Present tense, continue to examine yourself. Evaluate yourself. Be honest with yourself. 
This is not easy to do. As a matter of fact, this is hard for most people to do. This is impossible for most people to do, to objectively and honestly evaluate yourself. That is the hardest thing to do, to honestly and objectively, because we all have blind spots. And we all have inherent pride. And we don't want to hear the negative. What's your, share with me your three greatest faults. I hate that question. Next question. I guess I don't want this job. I'll go interview somewhere else. We just have a hard time evaluating ourselves. Paul says you need to do it. You need to take inventory, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil, and you can do that in your life as a family, as a person, in all areas of entertainment. You write it all down. What are all the areas of entertainment in my life? Write them all down and then evaluate how are they doing. Take them through the grid. Take them through Scripture. Is it pure? Is it lovely? Have it become callous. Subtly, little by little. That happens very easy. I remember when Debbie and I first got married, we didn't have a television. Or we had one maybe for a little bit, and then we actually got rid of it for a while. I can't even remember if it was one or two years or more than that. And then we got a television. We, we, we took the plunge. And we actually got a TV again after about two years. And I just remember what a shock it was, what was on television. I was horrified by the commercials. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was closing the blinds so that other Christians wouldn't come by and know I was watching television. And then weeks go by and months go by and years go by and all of a sudden I'm watching things and being entertained by things that I was aghast at and horrified by when I first got my television back. Which just tells me, wow, I allowed my standards to go down. I have become callous. I have become numb. Maybe in some areas my conscience has become seared. Wow. We need to do a heart check and evaluate everything in our life. And then what is the now we got kids? What is this doing on our kids? And then if you have multi if you have a multitudinous children like we do, typically you can see the standards way up here with your first kid, and it's in the basement by the time you have your 17th kid. So you've got to regularly, freshly evaluate yourself and be honest and lay it before God. Uh, and then that brings us to number nine. Man, some of these things, they are, they are enslaving. They are enslaving. Um, I was just trying to think of something that's enslaving. Uh, I could watch MASH over and over and over for probably 10 hours in a row or some other TV shows like that. Or I could eat those mint chocolate chip cookies from the Girl Scouts. I could eat five boxes at once and make me sick. I need accountability. My wife will only buy one box at a time and she hides the box from me. That's accountability. I need that in my life. Number nine, we need to become accountable to someone. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. That's why, you know why we have all those like 30 plus one another commands in the New Testament? Because we need accountability in our life and our own self-control is not sufficient. We can't do it on our own. The Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. God knows that and that's why He threw in 30 plus one another because you can't do it on your own, Christian. You need accountability in every one of these areas of your life. It is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the woman to be alone. One of the designs and blessings of marriage is accountability in your life. Somebody needs to be in your life, in every area of your life, holding you to the standard, rebuking you when you're out of line. And you need to do likewise to them. It's mutual accountability. And that also needs to go on in the church. Become accountable. If there's areas in your life where you're struggling, you're enslaved, you can't shake it, you've got to become vulnerable and you've got to find somebody you trust to become accountable and have them help you. That's, that's what the church is for, the body of Christ. We need to help each other. 
I want to, con- I want to close with Ecclesiastes chapter 12 because I, I told you that is the book on entertainment in the Old Testament, if not in the Bible. So Solomon goes on for 11 chapters. Here's what I did. Here's what I did. Here's what I did. All this entertainment he took to an extreme. And then here's his conclusion in chapter 12. Read a couple of passages. He's looking back in hindsight now. Okay, here's some wisdom I want to impart to you based on the mistakes that I made in the area of entertainment, among other things. Here's what you need to do, teenager. Here's what you need to do, college person. Here's what you need to do, young married person. The younger you are, the better as you assimilate this reality into your life. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. There it is. God is the foundation. He makes. Uh, he is the difference. He's your priority. It starts all with Him, pleasing Him. Don't say, oh yeah, I'll worry about that when I'm older. No, it needs to be now. <coughs> Excuse me. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in in them. That's and that's when you're getting older. You become kind of a a grouch if you have regrets in life and you become bitter. He says, Don't become bitter, you don't have to. You don't have to have all the regrets that I have. So remember your creator while you're young, make him the priority. And then he closes with uh, verse thirteen, the conclusion when all has been heard, or when all has been said and done, here's the if I could distill this message down into one statement, it would be what Solomon says here in verse 13 and 14. Fear God, keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment. God will bring every act, even regarding entertainment, to judgment or an evaluation, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. What a great reminder. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank You for our time together and God, I thank You for the Bible, uh, the truth of Your Word, but also that Your Bible is relevant, written 2,000 years ago, and it's speaking to issues that are in our front yard and in our own homes today. God, I pray that You'd stir up the Holy Spirit in all of us who are believers and know You. God, I pray that You would sensitize our consciences uh, anew once again so we'd be sensitive We would love the things you love. We would hate the things you hate. Help us to be honest with ourselves and do an honest appraisal and evaluation of where we are in every area of our life. God, allow us to come before you and just lay it all before you, to be examined by you, examined by the living Word of God. And if anything needs to be torn out, ripped away, taken from our lives, that we'd be willing to do it. And if not on our own, that we'd get accountability. So help us so that we can please You, please the Spirit as we're His temple, and that our hearts would resonate with Paul who said our ambition in everything is to please You. We thank You. We give You the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit GBF sv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.